This is Michael Volkoff. This is episode 134 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is COVID-19, part two, navigating the COVID-19 pandemic and examining business risks. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance for our second part on COVID-19. Before we get started, a word from our sponsor, Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's analytics company. Today's podcast episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance is sponsored by Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's analytics company. With information on more than 360 million companies, Bureau Van Dyke is the resource for company data, and they make it simple to compare companies internationally. Their flagship product, Orbis, is used to find, analyze, and compare companies worldwide for better decision-making and increased efficiency. Bureau Van Dyke recently announced its new Compliance Catalyst, which is a data-driven decision engine and risk management platform. Powered by Orbis, new Compliance Catalyst is a game-changer because nothing else combines data, technology, and people power into a single platform. Compliance Catalyst can streamline your KYC, AML, and anti-corruption research and make your client onboarding and customer due diligence process more reliable and efficient. Compliance Catalyst offers several unique advantages, including an integrated platform that combines your data, entity data from Bureau Van Dyke, and flexible due diligence screening, automated and enhanced, instant risk preview, and screening against watch lists and adverse media in seconds, customized dashboard, risk profiles and thresholds, screening and monitoring settings. As part of the Compliance Catalyst platform, several effective modules are provided, including AI-powered adverse media searches and reviews, shareholder power analyses, entity verification and resolution, and integrated enhanced due diligence services. If interested in a demo of the new Compliance Catalyst platform, please contact Bureau Van Dyke at americas at vdinfo.com or call 1-212-797-3550. Okay, I wanted to uh, turn to some of the business risks and focus more on business operations during this uh, pandemic crisis. And uh, starting off first, let's start with talk about corporate boards and management and the serious challenges that they face right now in navigating the COVID-19 pandemic. In this difficult, difficult crisis, uh, companies have to be mindful to apply best practices and exercise care to fulfill their duties of loyalty uh, and care. The challenges are complex and the risks are exponential. And just by my reviewing them in this podcast, you'll see what I mean in terms of some of the issues. So corporate boards have to exercise responsible oversight by understanding the risks facing the company and the impact of the pandemic to -to day-to-day and strategic decision-making. 
As the COVID-19 risks evolve, company boards and management have to identify and manage these rapidly changing risks. An initial priority for every company is to evaluate employee safety uh, and to assess business and then thereafter to assess business continuity plans. Most companies have embraced to the extent possible a remote or reduced workforce to minimize employee exposure and risk from the virus. Companies with open offices have to regularly clean and disinfect workspaces as appropriate. Additionally, companies have to examine business disruption from COVID-19 impact on production and, and its supply chain. Such an inquiry, such an inquiry re requires review and assessment of customer contracts, vendor supplier contracts and capabilities, along with access to business insurance relating to these contracts and operations. As part of this overall assessment, companies have to conduct scenario-based financial an analyses relating to capital, liquidity, financial health, and survival. Such analyses should include comprehensive short and long-term planning. In reviewing its finances, companies have to assess available credit facilities and existing debt expenses. Obviously, in considering these issues, you have to look at congressional programs, the Stimulus Act that was just passed, uh, funding and loans that are being offered by the Federal Reserve as a way to um, make uh, funds available through, uh, for credit by companies. Companies also have to maintain open lines of communications with federal, state, and local government representatives in order to keep current as to pandemic data and government actions. Companies have to incorporate such data and it changes day-to-day uh, -day and government actions in relation to employee safety, business continuity, and disruptions. Congressional actions, which I talked about in the first part, including the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, FFCRA, and Corona's Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act, have established new financial relief programs and imposed additional requirements related to paid and sick leave for employees. State and local governments have issued shutdown orders to various businesses along with isolation and quarantine orders that apply to workforce populations. State and local responses are fast changing and scientific modeling by public health professionals may provide indications of future changes in the course of the pandemic and government responses. Boards also uh, and senior management have to assess possible risk of illness of board members and key senior managers, especially key leaders in the C-suite. Scenarios should be crafted and used to develop substitution plans and disclosure requirements have to be addressed with regard to such illnesses. As companies and uh, rely on remote employee arrangements, companies have to assess increased cybersecurity and data risks. To the extent employees are using their own residential Wi-Fi access to the internet, companies have to assess risk depending upon the seniority of the uh, employee and the responsibilities of an employee who may have access to confidential information and could be susceptible to being uh, attacked through their Wi-Fi. In these situations, employees have to exercise healthy cyber practices to avoid a possible data breach or attack from third parties. And one other important issue is they have to be reminded to avoid potential phishing attacks that are gonna be, uh, that are gonna be intended to take advantage of public fears relating to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
We've already seen an uptick in these types of phishing act uh, attacks and, and employees who are working at home have to be reminded about these kinds of attacks that can occur. To manage this, these set of risks, and these are just a preliminary set of risks, companies have to establish a task force reporting to the board with representatives from the business, along with compliance, human relations, legal, finance, audit, and security representatives. A task force, a crisis task force, whatever you want to call it, can coordinate information sharing, planning, implementation, and communication to the public and other stakeholders. That's an important point. This last point about setting up a task force, it's going to be a minimum response to the current situation. Okay, and let's talk a little bit more about crisis management. Companies are obviously dedicate, have dedicated lots of time and resources to enterprise risk management. Uh, this is a much broader focus than legal and compliance risk. Instead, enterprise risks identify some of the major catastrophes. A company can have a serious weather uh, event that uh, creates disruption to their manufacturing activity or their supply chain risks uh, when they rely on a single provider or uh, a sole source. These are the kind of global enterprise risks that require the familiar calculation of likelihood of occurrence times impact of the occurrence. We are now experiencing the, the COVID-19 enterprise risk occurrence. For the foreseeable future, we'll be, we will be examining and assessing the impact of these pandemic risks. The impact of this occurrence is devastating and companies will eventually reflect on this experience for future planning purposes. Companies, like I said, are exercising their crisis management programs task force to assess, analyze, and implement appropriate response, responses. And these crisis management teams are important, uh, and they're important to maintain and to facilitate, uh, to move quickly in response to particularly health and safety concerns, since that is the highest priority issue for every company to address. Uh, there's little room to move here and little room to survive. Uh, if employees can work from home, that may be a great solution temporarily for, for, a, for some of the functions. But obviously, there are many jobs and many businesses that depend upon employees being on site. And that's where uh, we can get into real serious issues. So companies have to... to face a few issues here. Can the business continue to operate while protecting health and safety of employees and stakeholders? If so, how can the business continue and operate efficiently? And what will the impact on business from discontinuation of related industries, let's say in your supply chain, or let's say in your distribution capabilities? Uh, distributors and third parties may not be uh, available to use in, uh, and they themselves may be say, uh, facing continuity issues. Most companies are being forced to shut down or, or substantially curtail operations. And for those businesses able to continue on a limited basis, there, there are these significant operational questions that can, are subject to, to change on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, relating to how you're going to sell your product, how you're going to get access to your customers, what's the market viability, what's your supply chain look like, uh, and other basic questions. There are a stunning amount and stunning number of questions that need to be, uh, need to be addressed in this situation. Let's take a look for a minute now at supply chain risks. Uh, 
some companies uh, obviously are surviving with a remote workforce, uh, but some critical businesses such as healthcare providers, food, groceries, pharmacies, gas stations, and essential services such as utilities are continuing to operate. Employers have given uh, a large number of employees raises and have had to adapt to a new marketplace with COVID-19 risks and regulatory requirements. Certain businesses we've read in the papers are hiring large numbers of employees, including Amazon, drugstores, Walmart, uh, and grocery stores. And grocery stores are managing their supply chains as best they can to meet consumer demand. This is important. Uh, nonetheless, we're seeing co consumers who are hoarding certain products. Don't ask me why, but the panic products of toilet paper, paper towels, and milk. In a stable economy, grocery stores operate with thin margins and large volume. For now, grocery stores are experiencing significant growth in volume because consumers are not going to restaurants or other outside meal sources and are buying with panic and fear in mind. So companies are learning, obviously, serious supply chain lessons from this devastating pandemic. Some important principles have been underscored. Companies that maintain a, a supply chain that includes a sole supplier or a limited number of alternative suppliers may be suffering real and significant harm. A company has to maintain a supply chain that incorporates risk protection through the identification and the availability of multiple alternative suppliers. In building a strong supply chain to incorporate risk planning, procurement officers have to examine potential significant scenarios like weather events, pandemics, uh, that require an assessment of geographic resource and logistic risks from such events. In response to these scenarios, companies hopefully developed alternative plans that can be implemented to mitigate harm and maintain operations. In some cases, however, where the impact is devastating, companies may have to turn to contractual defenses such as force majeure provisions. That is a last alternative. In the current pandemic, there's a significant risk, as I mentioned, from business continuity. Supply chain risks in the current pandemic need to focus on the continuity of these vendors and suppliers. Many businesses, like we said, are shutting down and supply chains are being tested because these businesses may be essential providers of supplies. Third-party risk management has to incorporate a flexible and expedited analysis of each third party for business continuity in response to the pandemic. Companies cannot rely on sort of the established financial um, products that are available, online products, to assess the financial viability of a particular third party. Those aren't being necessarily updated with day-to-day uh, -day information and cause those situations are changing so rapidly. Businesses that aggressively manage their inventories to reduce costs by relying on inventory and time, quote, strategies, are now suffering harms from the current pandemic. While it's hard to justify inventory cost minimization strategies in a stable economy, COVID-19 has punished those businesses that relied on such strategies without any quick alternative solutions to address a national emergency. 
Procurement officers are, are obviously on a day-to-day -day basis examining their risk management process with the support and assistance of management, compliance, and related functions. No one could have predicted the harm caused by COVID-19 and the impact it has had on our society and our economy. Enterprise risk management, however, is a process that should have included, included appropriate weight uh, weighing of such a risk, especially given our recent historical experience with Ebola, H1N1, and SARS viruses. In fairness, however, COVID-19 scale and impact was unforeseen and devastating in scope, particularly in comparison to the prior viruses. Well, I did mention their force majeure contractual provisions, and I do want to talk a little bit about that because all of a sudden, going to law school uh, and uh, your first year class on contracts is turning out to be uh, uh, called upon um, as we look at uh, how force majeure principles may apply. So it turns out that this law school class on contracts was very helpful to uh, practical solutions to this issue. Every first-year law student is required to take a contract law class. And so now lawyers are able to apply what they learned in the most unlikely of circumstances, the COVID-19 pandemic. Companies that are suffering from shelter-in-place and business disruptions have to identify and assess liability under contracts with vendors, suppliers, and customers. A basic contract provision is a force majeure clause which generally excuses a party from performing a contractual obligation when acts of God or other specified unusual occurrences prevent a party from satisfying contractual obligations. For example, if a tsunami or major weather event destroyed a company's manufacturing or fulfillment center, the company may be excused from performance under a force majeure provision in a contract. But like most issues in the law, the impact of a force majeure provision is not so easily cut and dried, black and white, and can depend on a number of surrounding factors. For companies are now facing real questions concerning the impact on ongoing business re resulting from the global pandemic. A company may not be able to manufacture, distribute, and sell their products uh, in certain geographic areas or in certain situations and companies have to assess the impact, determine the extent to which business insurance may apply, and consider reasonable alternative solutions to business disruptions. If a company can take affirmative steps to minimize the disruption by finding alternative suppliers, vendors, or customers, a company may have to pursue such alternatives assuming it has a reasonable solution. A company that fails to mitigate or consider alternatives may find itself facing serious questions as to its ability to rely on a force majeure provision to excuse non-performance. The exact outlines of this are going to depend upon the specific language used in the contract as well as the applicable state law when issues aren't addressed. So a party ha seeking to invoke, in general, a force majeure clause has to satisfy various requirements. They cannot just rely on an unusual event and justify non-performance. A specific event like a COVID-19 pandemic has to fall under the specific definition and requirements of a force majeure provision. In most cases, the unusual event and the non-performance under a contract has to be foreseeable and the impact has to be mitigated. Ultimately, 
the party has to show that performance was impossible. In other words, several questions have to be answered. One, does the force majeure clause encompass the COVID-19 global pandemic? Two, did the COVID-19 global pandemic cause the party's non-performance of the contractual obligation? Three, assuming the answers to one and two are yes, a party seeking protection under the force majeure clause has to mitigate a foreseeable risk to avoid the consequences of non-performance. And four, was the party's performance impossible or impracticable? And now that, that terminology under question four depends upon the jurisdiction and whether or not there's specific language in the contract. In most cases, uh, non-performance for financial or economic reasons is not going to satisfy the requirements with regard to force majeure or impossibility. When COVID-19 results in the shutdown of a company for a period of time covering a performance obligation, the party is likely to succeed in pursuing force majeure uh, uh, invocation uh, and defense. Companies face a number of difficult issues uh, when they rely on these provisions and the COVID-19 pandemic uh, obviously raises significant issues. Uh, and hopefully companies have planned ahead on this issue and have documented relevant information needed to sustain a force majeure defense. For example, once the impact of the pandemic has hit, documentation is really important. Uh, many companies are right now struggling with continuity plans and face significant disruptions of operations. These are the documents and the analyses that have to be protect, uh, preserved and collected. And depending upon the specific factors, companies are going to have to evaluate whether or not they can apply these force majeure provisions. They're going to have to identify facts, assess mitigation alternatives, and design and collect documentation uh, to support a course of action. If companies undertake an affirmative strategy, they need to plan for the impact the virus is likely to have on its operations based on data as to the location and likely spread of the virus. Such planning is difficult to anticipate given the number of factors outside the company's control. For example, we're seeing different estimates and planning models uh, and modeling uh, that's come out from the government and public health officials. So companies have to consider a variety of alternatives, including transfer of functions to other locations or countries to avoid COVID-19 impact, alternative suppliers if a company anticipates losing a specific supplier, and obviously remote working solutions for employees and their ability to complete work responsibilities under particular contracts. These are all issues that are important for a company to consider to meet its mitigation obligations and, of course, let me say yet again, should be documented. Well, that's an examination of some of the business impacts, uh, and that's the end of part two as to COVID-19. Uh, and uh, I'm going to post both of these at the same time so you can uh, go one right after the other if you're interested. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. We can help you achieve 
an effective ethics and compliance program. And you can learn about our commitment and the ways in which we offer services at www.bolkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and of course our podcast series. And you can always reach out to me at my email address, mbolkoff at bolkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you Like we love